You've probably heard the saying before, the writing is on the wall. Well, that actually comes from the Bible, from Daniel chapter 5, a story about King Belshazzar having a drunken party. This hand appears and writes his condemnation. It was a scary omen, if you will. And he went from a drunken party to being pale, his knees knocking together, and showing once again that God is sovereign over history and sovereign over our lives. We'll learn more about that today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get to today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. For your gift of any size, we would like to give you the free DVD, Dark Dangers of the Occult. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Don't you think somewhere along the line, he was told that the God of Israel is nobody to mess with? Maybe Nebuchadnezzar after that locked away the golden vessels and shared with his family, don't mess with the God of Israel. Oh, have I got some stories to tell you, right? You would think that somehow he had some information about the God of Israel, about Daniel. Why does he take the holy vessels and drink from them now in the midst of the party with a thousand of his nobles there, only for one reason, to impress my friends. <laughs> Watch what I'm about to do, but hey, bring those golden vessels that are locked up over there that Grandpa locked up. Bring it over here. See? See what I'm doing right here? I'm drinking from the, the vessels of the God of Israel. <laughs> now, I know. Why? To impress your friends? Why would you take something that's holy and turn it into something that's common? Do you know that I look at our culture today and I wonder if we even know what holy means anymore? If, if we even know what something sacred really is, something that's actually been set apart unto God, that's holy ground, holy territory, sacred, precious, to be protected, to be preserved. Do you agree? Do you look at our culture and wonder if someone could define what sacred is anymore, what's precious, what's holy? I, I wonder. And when we take what is holy and put it at a common level, there's no other way to say this. We're spitting in the face of God. When we take institutions that God has called holy and has defined and set apart and sanctified as unto him and we minimize it and we make it common, we are taking what is holy and we are putting it down to a level that dishonors God. There's no other way to say it. And that is what Belshazzar did and I think he knew better but I think he was trying to impress his friends and all of us could confess that we've probably done some silly things to impress our friends. Somebody said, most people buy a new car just so they can pull up to a stoplight and impress someone that they'll probably never see again. <laughs> it's not, it's not an indictment if you have a new car. But you understand what's being said. And so 
he's got the vessels and they brought the gold vessels and they had been taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. The king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. Now, you all know if you've read anything about the temple, God says, this is holy. This is set apart for the temple. This is holy. When God calls something holy, the basic definition of holiness is to set apart to be set apart to God. This is called the Holy Bible. Do you know why it's called the Holy Bible? Because it's God's word. Holy prophets were called holy, not because they were especially holy, but because they had been set apart to be God's spokesmen. Holy ground wasn't especially holy unless it had been set apart where God was there. The ground was holy because God was there. I got the privilege of baptizing a young man in my pool. Uh, just within the last couple of weeks. And I said to a group of people, this water, this pool has been in my backyard for a number of years. And it's been swimming and people have been dunked in it and they've jumped in it and they've frolicked in it and whatever else they've done. But tonight, this circle of water has become holy. Do you know why? Because you, my friend, young man, are about to be baptized. And this water will now be set apart to uh, honor God in a baptism which will symbolize your union with Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. So for right now, in this moment, this water is holy. Are you with me? That's what holiness is. The, the vessels could be like any other cup, but because they were set apart as unto God, and by the way, you are holy. Not because you're especially holy. <laughs> you know, I'm a holy man. <laughs> I'm a holy woman. No, you are holy because you have become the vessel of what? The living God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that tonight? You have been set apart unto God for good works that God prepared that you should walk in them. You are holy. And because you are holy, God wants you to behave differently because he has set you apart for his kingdom, for his purposes. To be a vessel sanctified for the master, useful for good works. As Paul writes uh, to the Thessalonian church, this is 1 Thessalonians 4.4, 4, he says, each of you should know how to possess his own vessel or body in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. If a man cleanses himself, says Paul in 2 Timothy 2.21, from these things, youthful lusts and wickedness and all that stuff, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful, to the master. You're the temple of the living God. Well, Belshazzar was having his party and he was drinking. Verse four, they drank the wine and praised the gods of, uh, gods of gold and silver, of bronze and iron, wood and stone. So they had the holy vessels. They're drinking the wine from them, mocking God. But as they drank from that which was holy from the Jerusalem temple, they began to praise the gods of gold and silver and bronze and wood and stone, which the Bible says cannot speak, cannot hear, have no emotion. They are nothing. And they began to use the holy vessel set apart to the true God to praise false gods. And God, 
has a very dim view of such matters. <laughs> I think God looked from heaven and said, okay, Belshazzar, <laughs> your career is over. And so notice what happens. Suddenly, the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand, verse 5, on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Can you imagine this? Yeah, we praise the gods of silver and gold and bronze. Look at what we're doing. And all of a sudden... A hand shows up, probably a disembodied hand, that's what the text says, and begins to write on the plaster wall. Now, if you're the king, <laughs> so, and this is suddenly, this is not like, a, uh, you know, get ready for this or anything. This is suddenly, all of a sudden, the hand's there. And it's a human hand, but it's writing on the plaster wall. Now, what would you do if in the middle of your party, in the middle of trying to impress your friends, a hand shows up and begins to write on your wall? Would you be a little bit unnerved? Would you be going, whoa, what is happening? And by the way, the Babylonians believed in dark omens. They believed in signs and omens and things like this. Can you imagine being the king and one moment you're, having a good time and you're impressing your friends and the next moment a hand has showed up, the fingers of a man's hand writing on your wall. You would sober up quickly. Uh, what is the man's hand? We can't say dogmatically, but we know God has written before. He wrote the Ten Commandments, Exodus 31, 18. Jesus wrote on the ground in John 8, 6. And Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty, I cast out demons by the finger of God. He meant the power of God. So God is in a habit of writing at times, of course. And here's the proud king. All of a sudden, in front of all of his friends, the king's face grew pale, verse 6. His thoughts alarmed him. His hip joints went slack. And his knees began knocking together. Now this is a great description of fear. The NIV says his face turned pale. He was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. He began to walk around like the scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz. You know how he walks around? He just kind of flopping around. Uh, he almost became like the guards at the tomb of Jesus Christ who became like dead men when the angel appeared. That's kind of what's going on here. Belshazzar was shook to his core. It doesn't take long to go from pride to facing all of a sudden your demise. You could say, as one writer put it, God turned the banquet hall into a courtroom and he wiped the proud smirk off Belshazzar's face. And the king called aloud, verse 7, to bring the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. How many times do these guys have to be called and fail until somebody figures out, hey, let's just get Daniel. Let's skip some of the, the other guys who are just going to blow it anyway. But he calls for them, and he called aloud, help, hey, send, for the, send for the guys who know the omens and the, the secrets. Send for them. Get them on in here. And any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me will be clothed with royal purple. That's a... That's a royal robe there, have a necklace of gold around his neck, and have authority as third ruler in the kingdom. Bible students, note that he says third ruler. We'll come back to that in a second. So he calls for all the wise men, all the, the people who are supposed to be experts in training. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first, what do you know about the occult? In the month of October, the number one theme is Halloween. Houses are decorated and kids drag their parents to the store to get the costume they want to wear for their holidays trick-or-treat night. There are those that take the holiday on a darker path. What do you know about the occult? People are often fascinated with it, but it is far from innocent. It is dangerous. God warned his people in the Bible to understand what it is and have nothing to do with it. Dark Dangers of the Occult is a DVD available to you this month by Pastor Michael Lance. The video includes teachings and interviews that will help expose the occult for what it is and shine the light of Christ's power over it. Dark Dangers of the Occult is available as a thank you when you give a donation of any size in support of Walk in Truth. Call 844-48-TRUTH today. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. Send for the guys who know the omens and the, the secrets. Send for the, get them on in here. And any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me will be clothed with royal purple. That's a, that's a royal robe there. Have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as third ruler in the kingdom. Bible students, note that he says third ruler. We'll come back to that in a second. So he calls for all the wise men, all the, the people who are supposed to be experts in dreams and all of this kind of thing. In 1850, one commentator, Ferdinand Hitzig, declared that Belshazzar was clearly a figment of the writer's imagination of the book of Daniel. But as usual, time is a way of overturning such theories. In this case, in 1854, a British consul named J.G. Uh, Taylor was exploring some ruins in southern Iraq for the British Museum, came across several small cylinders inscribed with 60 or so lines of cuneiform writing. Turned out that the inscriptions had been written at the command of uh, Nabonidus or Nabonidus, who ruled Babylon from 555 to 539 BC. Some believe he was also called Nebuchadnezzar because it was more a title than a name. Um, they, uh, what they found, they commemorated the repair of a temple tower at Ur, and they contained a prayer for long life and good health for Nabonidus and for his eldest son, guess what his name was? Belshazzar. After this discovery, several more finds produced the name Belshazzar, calling him the king's son or the crown prince. According to one account, Nabonidus or Nabonidus entrusted his kingship to Belshazzar. Excuse me for a moment. Here's what the skeptics do. They read a book like this and they say, oh, archaeology has never shown that someone named Belshazzar was ruling ancient Babylon during these years. So your Bible's not true. Go do something else. Throw away your Bible. And then you know what inevitably happens? They start digging around these areas and then they find something that disproves the skeptic's theory. And the skeptic is then confronted and said, uh, uh, sir, excuse me, but we just found the name Belshazzar and he was the king's son and probably ruling in his stead as the king was out fighting a war. What do you think of that? You know what the skeptic does? Oh, I'll move on to my next thing that I want to nitpick about the Bible. And every time it's been said that the archaeologist turns over the spade, the Bible is proven again to be reliable, reliable, reliable. In fact, 
the Bible just continues to back up what secular history tries to catch up with that the Bible says. So do not listen to this garbage. And, you know, sometimes we turn on the television and we get all these interesting theories about this and that and the question of the biblical authenticity. And did Paul really know what he was talking about? And maybe the cultural context was the determining factor of that. Just read your Bible. It's the word of God. I'm not saying you shouldn't study these things, but every time they do this, they're proven to be false. Did you know that the promise from Belshazzar was that if someone could read the interpretation, he would make them what? Third ruler in Babylon. That meant that there were two others that would be above him. And it turned out that there was Nabonidus, Belshazzar, the crown prince, who was probably reigning in the stead of his father. Actually, his father was probably killed by the Persian army on this same night or just before this. And so he could only promise Daniel to be third highest because there were co-regents. There was the father and the son ruling Babylon at the time. Once again, confirming the biblical record. And so just so you can have confidence in your Bible. Now all the king's wise men, verse 8, or not so wise men, came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Um, Sometimes uh, the, the way I see these guys walking into the room is almost like slapstick comedy, you know? Here we are again, boss. <laughs> well, what do you want us to read? Well, they're, they're not reading anything, right? Maybe they can read it, but they're not going to be able to give the interpretation. I think this is the third strike, don't you? So after three strikes, you're out. I would stop calling these guys. But the king, King Belshazzar, was... Uh, it says, all the king's wise men, they could not read the inscription or make notes in its interpretation to the king. King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler, uh, if that's possible, to become more pale, more blood drained out of his face. His nobles were perplexed. And the queen, this is the queen mother, entered the banquet hall. She apparently heard what was going on. Because of the words of the king and his nobles, the queen, the queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Well, that's not going to happen. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. Now, I can appreciate what the queen mother was saying, but it was time to panic. Here's what she says. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is a spirit of the holy gods or the holy God. And in the days of your father or your grandfather, illumination, insight, wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. Everybody pause. Look up for a second. How does he not know about Daniel? Are you kidding me? Why is it that the queen mother has to inform him that he's got somebody like Daniel in his kingdom? This means that Daniel is no longer head of the wise men. Maybe he's, you know, been put somewhere else. I don't know why or why he doesn't know about Daniel, but he doesn't. This was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, verse 12, insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, solving of difficult problems. Wouldn't you want this guy on your team? were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare its interpretation. 
Then Daniel was brought in before the king 13. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you the Daniel who is uh, one of the exiles from Judah whom my father the king brought from Judah? I think Daniel probably just nodded. Now I have heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Just now the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me. But they could not declare the interpretation of the message. But I personally have heard about you that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now if you are able to read the the inscription and make its interpretation known to me, you will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck and you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Now by the way, Daniel's probably about 80 at this point. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, keep your gifts for yourself. Give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. Now, I think Daniel, he's 80. He's like, been there, done that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I'll make known to you the interpretation, but you can keep your gifts. You can give them to somebody else. By the way, you're going to be dead in a little while. (laughs) Something like that. So he says, O king, the most high God granted or gave sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. And because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever whomever he wished, he killed. That is almost everyone except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And whomever he spared, he wished, he spared alive. Whomever he wished, he elevated. And whomever he wished, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, He was deposed from his royal throne and the glory, his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind. His heart was made like that of the beasts. His dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the most high God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. Mark that, Bible students. Yet you, his son or his grandson, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. Now that tells us something, doesn't it? It tells us that Belshazzar knew this story. He knew about Nebuchadnezzar being humbled. But here's, I think, the kicker of it all. Those who don't learn from history are bound to repeat it. Have you heard that before? Do you know why you've heard that before? Because it's true. Those who don't learn from history are bound to repeat it. And we've seen it in the book of Daniel. And Daniel, bold, he addresses the king, but he says, look, you haven't humbled your heart. You knew this, but you've exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, 23. And they have brought the vessels of his house before you. You and your nobles, your wives, your concubines have been drinking wine from them. You have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. Write down Psalm 115, verses 1 through 8. But the God in whose hand your life, breath, and your ways... You have not glorified, if you have an NIV, it says, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. This 
Brothers and sisters is one of the most powerful Bible verses I think I've ever come across. God holds in his hand our very life breath and all our ways. Do you think that most people walking around our city believe that tonight? Do you think that most people who live in our country believe that God holds their very life in his hands? Their very breath is a gift. Each breath is a gift from God. Well, that's what Daniel told a king who could have killed him right on the spot. Can I apply it to us? Why is it that we don't learn from history? We want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. For your gift of any size, we would like to give you the free DVD, Dark Dangers of the Occult. Well, here we find ourselves in the fall, quickly moving towards Halloween or All Hallows Evening. We have a special offer for you. It's called Dark Dangers of the Occult. In this series, we expose the occult for what it is and shine the light and power of Christ upon it. What is the occult, you might ask? Well, it really comes from that which is occluded, hidden, secret, mysterious, esoteric, behind the veil. And for the Christian, something that's forbidden. Some people have opened the door to the occult and opened their lives to very dark and sinister things. But there's hope, hope in the gospel of Christ and hope for those who have opened that door when they come to Jesus Christ. If you want to find out more about this product, reach out to us at 844-48-TRUTH, 844-48-TRUTH, or check out the website, walkintruth.com. God bless you, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.